Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. First off, I want to just thank everyone who's here today. I think it's such a privilege to be able to speak in the house of the Lord on a Sunday. I don't do it as... Uh, ever, really. <laughs> so it sounds like, oh, I do this every now and then, but I don't. Um, but I'm here now, and I'm really glad that you guys are able to share this moment with me because I will be sharing my testimony today. Um, and I've actually decided to name it. I don't know if you're supposed to name testimonies. It sounds a little grand. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. It's called... Um, I have been a Christian for 10 years, uh, but I met Christ about three months ago. Cool. Yes. yes. Amen. So, um, as, well, I don't know if I've introduced myself properly to everyone. My name is Adam. Me and my wife, Ladea, over here with our third um, child, have been part of this church for the, this is this coming up on the eighth, eighth year, I think. Um, so it's been a while, and... Uh, and yeah, um, I'm one of few Swedes in this church, I suppose. So I'm an original Malmo boy, even. So I'm even more, you know, as local as it gets. Not from New Malmo. But um, I wasn't raised in a Christian household. Uh, I didn't have a um, Christian upbringing whatsoever. I mean, the closest thing I would have would be an atheist family. And uh, actually, the family story goes that my paternal or my maternal grandfather was the first Swede to ever leave the Swedish church when it was no longer mandatory in 1952. He was a politician, so he made a point of using his political influence to actually leave the Swedish church and be the first one to do so. And he was uh, he wore that as a badge of honor, and my family kind of took on that role after him and did the same thing as soon as they had the opportunity to. Now, if that's exactly true, I don't know, but I knew he left the church in 1952, and that's something that my family speaks very proud of, which I find interesting. Um, I wouldn't even call them an agnostic one, um, my family. Uh, we do have maybe a few agnostics in the family, and I would probably call myself one of those. I would have probably been written off as a little eccentric, maybe a little naive. But uh, then, as time went on and life happened, I met my wife-to-be, Ladea. And while it's very charming to think of the impulsive and passionate love story that we shared, um, it left little room to actually plan and prepare for the life we wanted to live together. My wife is raised Christian, I was not. Those two worlds collide, and they do so usually at the expense of one or the other. And here we had a moment of that, and um, I don't know if you've had that experience or not, but it's definitely one that will at some point come to a head. Um, emotionally and spiritually, I was very immature. I was unprepared, and spiritual truth was um, like Swedish society taught me, an individual quest to something I have to define as my truth. I don't know if you've lived in Sweden long enough to maybe recognize that, but that's part of our cultural pattern here. We have our own individual truths, and 
and then it's up to us to find sort of a compass or find the navigate and calibrate our compass to that. Um, but through my wife's family, I learned early on that if I pursued it her, I needed to know that there was truth. There was real truth. Um, but the good news was that there was good news, right? And on my first visit to America to actually see them, um, America and U.S. is my wife's birth uh, place, I got really sick. I got bronchitis from some cowboy at the airport. <laughs> it was often uh, as bidding. <laughs> That's what I'm blaming it on anyway. <laughs> But I was desperate to make a good impression. I'm sure you <laughs> can recognize that. Um, I also didn't want to spread the ominous news that this atheist reformer, atheist Swede, was coughing blood on their couch while visiting them and in their church. You know, I didn't want to evoke any spiritual superstition. Um, <laughs> hope you don't have any real sick people here now. We'll pray for you after this. Uh, <laughs> but finally, I couldn't do it anymore. I got so sick that I had to go visit a hospital. Uh, or we looked for a hospital, but uh, I finally found a doctor, not just on the street. It was a doctor that we uh, was offered through the church that they run and operate. And this, I mean, this doctor was free of charge. I'm a Swede. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went to see her. Fantastic, Dr. Barbara. Very loving, motherly woman who looked after me like a little child. I loved it. But after the appointment, I didn't realize that the only caveat you know, unbeknown to me was that I had to sit down with a stern, crew-cut military woman <laughs> in a military outfit, this diplomatic Swede who doesn't want to offend anyone. Uh, she asked me if I had received the Lord, or Jesus as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> I said, yes. I was terrified of not representing Sweden, <laughs> Swedish democracy well, you know, there could be... <laughs> conflict. Uh, I wasn't, you know, ready to maybe disclose my, the, the implications and the deeper intricacies of my philosophical journey with Jesus. So I said, uh, yes. <laughs> have you been baptized? Um, no, I have not. To me, that's something you either do when you're a baby or you don't, right? At that point, anyway. Would you like to be? Yes. <laughs> And I was like waiting for her to say that I passed the test, I can now go home or go get my medicine and all that. I mean, I realized that I, I wanted baptism, I'd heard of baptism, all jokes aside, but I didn't realize the implications of a Christian baptism. But I knew that I couldn't commit to Ladea without first committing to Christ. Little did I know that Ladea was part of God's plan for me already. After my first, uh, after my first baptism, after my baptism, <laughs> I've only had one. Um, that night, I had a real encounter with a real God. In the middle of the night, I woke up laughing. Uh, my brother-in-law at the time. Well, he still is, but my brother-in-law, who was staying in the other room, came into my room because he thought something was off. Uh, he heard me, and he woke me up saying I was laughing in my sleep. 
It was a peaceful, soothing joy that I hadn't felt before. And now is the time when I want to like roll credits. Isn't that an amazing story? Doesn't that sound like the perfect end? And then I was a Christian and lived life happily ever after. That wasn't the case. Uh, all too soon, the feeling of God's presence in my life faded away, and I fell into old patterns. Instead of new ones, I felt comfort in things I knew. I had a new badge on my sleeve, but that was it. It wasn't an experience I wanted to brag about. Over the years, I have had real encounters with God. I have prayed. I have read my Bible. I felt compelled. I felt convinced. A prayer meeting here with our founding um, pastor, Quinton, that some of you know, and our now lead pastor, Matthew, Faree had me experience Christ's love right here at this auditorium. But even though these experiences happened to me, experiences happened to me, and God revealed Himself, my rationale always prevailed over the experience or feeling in my heart. Doubting Adam needed evidence to sustain. As many others, I'm sure, I became a bit of an expert at compartmentalizing my faith. We went to church on Sundays, and then we had lunch, and we prepared for Monday. Even if you don't feel like that is happening to you, maybe you've seen someone else, or you know someone else that happened too. There was a prayer meeting at our church. Oh, it would be rude not to show up. I don't want Matthew to look at me weird next time I see him. Oh, there's a conference to go to. That's expensive. There was serving. Oh, is it my Sunday again? <laughs> Church, faith, and life found a rhythm that I learned to dance around. I was beginning to settle for the faith I had and to acknowledge that I was living. What I was living was the, the, ultimate, the ultimate pinnacle of the Christian experience. Perhaps you can put some sprinkles on it occasionally, right? It could have some flares, but that was it. I knew the lingo. I could sing the songs. I could even recite some wisdom. Meanwhile, I slowly but gradually began to resent the life I was living. Did we really need to go to church every Sunday? Wow, it's a lot to sign up for. My, resent my resentment expressed itself in some obstinate relationships of faith, morals, and principles. You remember when Matthew said I was fun? <laughs> Just wanted to remind everyone that I am. Just not now. <laughs> Sorry. In trying to juggle my choices and simultaneously trying to maintain my perception of spiritual health, I fell short of so many things I believed in other than God. I stopped honoring my wife and children. I was not acting grateful or graceful to my sick mother. My mother-in-law got worried for me just spending a few weeks with me. My wife was at her wit's end, and I was at the break of dawn in my wrestle with God. Oh. 
So about four or five months ago, I came to a place where I decided to pray a final prayer. I told God about my doubts and my troubles. I said, I'm tired of standing with one foot in both realms. I'm going to give it one last shot. I'll submit to your will and say yes to your way for now. But if I don't hear back from you, I'm out. The first step was to answer Pastor Matthew's second or third text about joining Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class we have here at church, that we're going to have this fall, which is great, fantastic, and we love it very much. He is also going to text all of you if you don't sign up. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> I began a new reading plan in my Bible, and I committed my evenings to talking uh, theology with my wife and the journey that I was embarking on. But this time, we were better equipped to handle, I said questions, but some of the questions that arose. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. During the second session of the EHS, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class, I received a bit of an epiphany. God was really prompting me to be brutally honest with myself. You see, I was stuck in a cycle of always completely justifying my actions, especially all the sinful, prideful ones. Or, if not justifying myself, I would feel utterly guilty, stuck in the pit of my own brokenness. Not only did this cycle really affect me, but also the people around me, especially my wife, who felt the brunt of my selfish justifications. I'm just going to drink a little bit of water. And wait for me. But God provided me a way out of this cycle. Importantly, the first step was not to accept his forgiveness. The first step was not to accept his forgiveness, but first become honest with myself and with God, to stop justifying my actions and to investigate my motivations, to ask myself why I felt offended by a comment, or why my desire for something was justified, or why I sometimes assumed the worst about a person. This process was terrifying and awful in some ways. Oh, this is, yeah, okay, here we go. I remember telling my wife one evening that I realized that I had subtly manipulated people as a way to justify myself. And that realization hurt. So the first step was to allow myself to be guilty without self-justification. To look at the specifics of my sin, the key difference, the thing that allowed me to do this without remaining stuck uh, in my own guilt-innocent cycle was to ask Christ to be with me. So I started going through the same thing, but this time I invited Christ 
to be with me. Doing so, I experienced a real God-given humility in those moments. Truly, I was poor in spirit. Then, the second step was to ask for his forgiveness. And for the first time, I was able to receive that forgiveness. As opposed to convince myself that I was innocent and justified on my own account, I understood then what it means to be justified by Christ. Though I had heard that phrase and others like it many, many times through the years. When I started to find comfort in Jesus from my hurts and the hurts I've caused, I was able to break the chains of shame and pride that hindered me from having a transformed heart. But it started with taking it all to the cross. Not just part of it. I realized that no fault, no sin, was too big or, importantly, too small. He died for them all. Not just the ones I deemed worthy or manicured enough to be exposed. He wasn't waiting for me to come with him with curiosity. I'd already done that once. I was curious. He was waiting for me to confess and to seek him with my whole heart. When I exposed my ugly root, he took me to his beautiful tree. God revealed his love and grace for me. And over the following weeks, I was taught and experienced through the Holy Spirit that there is a God. I mean, think about it for a second. If you come from a place where you don't believe in God and you come to a realization that there is a God, we can go over all the stuff the Bible says, but still that thing holds true and that is mind-blowing. There is a God. That is huge. That is massive. Not only is there a God, but he does love me. Prayers are answered, and he wants to be with me. And as I discovered the love that he has for me, I got braver and braver. Surely there's something he'll reject me for, right? He always rejected. But no. I was overwhelmed by a peace and a joy that is the closest thing to completion that I've ever experienced. The more I lean on him, the closer I get. And the more I decide to live for him, the more I live. So I truly, truly urge you, if you haven't yet, to take that step of faith. I'm not saying it's an easy fix. I, I'm not. But I want you, maybe, if it inspires you, to try and look at your sin with Christ. My daughter's just finding out that I have sin. <laughs> I would love for you to do it with Christ. And to let it go as you accept his forgiveness. I don't know how long I've been speaking, but I'm just going to say that I would like to, in closing or in ending, 
I would like to address the theme of our summer session here. Heroes of Faith from Hebrews 11. As cheesy as it may sound, my hero of faith is my wife. Because without her steadfast faith, her continuous praying, and her noteworthy patience, I don't know if I would have made this journey. I know that she often prayed Philippians 1.6 for me. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I trust God's timing now. And I can see why he let this happen to me so late on my road. A lot of times you can start blaming God for not having revealed himself sooner. No. I can see how the dots drawn connected to complete a bigger picture. I'm also called to tell people not to give up and that he longs for you and that there is more in life. That was something unexpected for me as part of this experience. That's why I'm up here. I... I hate public speaking. I'm a teacher too. <laughs> isn't that the irony of that, isn't that? <laughs> but when I was asked, I really felt like this is what I was prompted to say. I felt excited about life again. Like my wife, I now pray for specific people daily, not from a place of frustration, but from a heart of love and from a place of trust. So, if possible, I would like us to just take 10 seconds to be thankful for the people in your life, for the person in your life who pray for us. I want us to think of that one person who, no matter your circumstances, always bring your name before God. That person who loves you and wants what's best for you. Your hero of faith. If there's not a name that pops up, I would like you to pass that prayer on and pray for someone you know who desperately needs to feel the love and the grace of our Father. I'll keep track of the time. Thank you.